0: Well, good morning
1: and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6900. And you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225 225- you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. And, of course, I misspoke on that phone number. It's so actually... 291 6901. 01, yeah. Zero-zero is, is the shop. shop. <laughs> <laughs> so if you call that and. Yeah, you're not going to get anything today. Well, you might get an answer machine. Maybe. But it won't let you take a message. <laughs> Just kind of gives you the message and rudely yeah. hangs up on you. There you go. Sorry, we're closed. We'll be back open Monday. That's it. Oh, give us a call. Anyway, it's 291 That is the radio station. And that will get you right straight to the two of us. And we are live and in person today, so. That we are. If you got a question or a comment? You give us a call. This is the time to do it. That's it. And, and every week we try to have topic or topics because there are some things that you can talk a tire hour on. You know, sure. things that are short periods time. So I thought we would start out today. I get a lot of email about aftermarket parts. I know right. we've discussed this in the past, but a few it's new. It's one of the things that needs to be yeah. it. It needs to be reiterated from time to time. And then, of course, move on to a different topic. After that, we run out of time. But the reason. People ask me very, very often. They say, well, you know, this aftermarket part is so much cheaper. And is it really cheaper? That's the point. And we've talked about how you have price and you have cost. Now, if I buy a part that costs $200 and it fixes the problem and it lasts for 20 years, that's one thing. Now, let's say I buy a part for $100. It lasts three months. It breaks again. It leaves me stranded. Now i got to tow the car somewhere back home or to the shop. I have to pay labor again. You see where I'm going with this. Which part is exactly. really less expensive? Because people will ask me all the time, well, why do you use aftermarket parts? Uh, why do you use OEM, OEM parts, parts always? I said, because I can't afford aftermarket parts.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, if you're doing the work yourself, that's one thing. It's very inconvenient. You get broke down. You have to do the job over. Generally, they'll hand you another part and so they have a nice day. Right. That's all you're going to get. But they don't pay for all the parts that get messed up as a result of this bad part. For instance, we put an aftermarket starter on the car. The starter Bendix goes bad. It tears up the starter, but it also tears up the flywheel. Right. So you take the starter off. You take it back to wherever you bought it from. Hand a starter. They hand you a new one and say, here you go. Have a nice day. Have a nice day. There you well, go. What about the flywheel? It tore up. Not our problem. Exactly. So now you end up, you have to pull the transmission out. Much bigger deal. You have to replace that. Now, are you going to put that same junk starter that caused this problem back again? Probably not. So you will probably end up throwing this starter away. Now you go buy a good starter, but well, you don't have a core to turn in because they say. won't accept this piece of junk offshore right. knockoff third-world knockoff. Yeah, they're not going to accept that. So now you have to buy a new starter. You have to pay the core charge. You have to pull the transmission. You have to change flywheel. That's one example. Right. Many times I've seen – I remember we had a Honda come in, and someone – the air fuel sensor on a Honda is about $300. Well, he goes to an auto parts store and no, no, we've got – an O2 sensor it's a universal O2 sensor, and oh, it's about it. $90. Okay, well, he gets it, and it's got three wires coming out of it. So what he does, he takes and cuts the connector off the original sensor, ties the wires in, solders it together, plugs it in, car won't run. So he has the car towed to us. Well, now, at this point, you're involved with a record bill, which is probably $100. a 100 bucks. Now, You get the car in, we start to check it, say, well, it's got an oxygen sensor in place of an air-fuel sensor, which are different. Not only that, but I'm not getting a signal from the PCM to drive this sensor. So now we have to buy a PCM. We have to get the The original original part, which is the price. Plus you paid not only a record bill, but diagnostic time for me. Because it took longer to diagnose that than it would have to diagnose the original sensor that was bad and just replace it. So, if you think about the math here, the original sensor, OEM, would have been about $300, and the problem would have been solved. It would have taken 15, 20 minutes to put it in. Problem solved. Instead, what you've done is you paid $90, $80, whatever, for this piece of junk. You spent half an afternoon cutting wires, re soldering wires, and all this kind of foolishness. You got a record bill. You involved. bought a record bill, which is a hundred plus. Right. You paid for diagnosis. You paid for a computer, and you paid for programming the computer. And you still have to, to pay for three hundred dollars for the original sensor. sensor. So does it really make sense? Not to me it doesn't. You know, occasionally you may get one of these parts, it may work, it may work for a while, it may work fine. But most of the time, very high percentage of the time, people are constantly enamored with buying insurance policies. Mm-hmm. We talked about that last week, where people will spend inordinate amounts of money because they don't want to take a risk, so they buy an insurance policy instead. But they don't want to buy the cheapest insurance you're going to get, which is a better part. The proper part for the job, buying that, being done with it. Take another example might be a rebuilt air conditioning compressor. Now, the original compressor failed. Let's say the clutch went out on the original compressor. Okay. Okay. At this point, you could have just put a clutch on it, but a lot of people say, well, it's got a lot of miles. I'll just change. I can get a compressor with a clutch and that's less expensive. Now you go and you buy a good original equipment compressor. You vacuum the system out. You put the compressor on. You make sure everything's clean. You take the all, maybe replace the all in the system. You vacuum charge the system, put it back together. Now you got a repaired air conditioning system. But instead, let's say you go and buy a cheap aftermarket compressor or you buy a rebuilt compressor you put that on it comes apart in three months well now it's not a matter of replacing the compressor again now the condenser is full of metal sure the expansion valve is full of metal any of the hoses any hoses with a muffler on them are full of metal right so now we're changing all of these components which the labor is is exorbitantly higher you are Going to have to clean what you can, like the evaporator coil has to be cleaned out, which generally takes professional equipment to do sure. properly. You go through all of this stuff, replace all this stuff, and then you still have to go back and buy the good compressor. So, did you save any money? You know, we get this constantly where people will go and they'll buy some cheap junk AC compressor, put it on. Well, now it's not just the compressor that's right, that it's the rest here. of the system, the whole system's contaminated. So they'll go in, and they'll ask me, and I'll say, you're going to have to replace this, 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 this. Well, they'll do all that, and they'll put another compressor on there. Well, it goes bad again. Well, finally, they bring it to us. Well, now we've got a system contaminated by two compressors. Sure. So it's twice as much metal. Every part in the system now has to be replaced. There's not a piece I can use. And you've spent all the money you're out of pocket. That's gone. You sure. Just, yeah, you just write that off as a life lesson. Life lessons, there you go. <laughs> and you still got to pay for the proper repair. Right. point I'm trying to make is the reason we use OEM parts is because it is the least expensive way to address the problem. Right. Now, in a shop where you have to pay somebody to do the work, for instance, it would cost me the same to have you install a good part as it would to install a junk part. If the job comes back to me because the customer's not satisfied because something's not working – now, I have to pay you to take that one off and put another one back on. Exactly. That's double the cost. Not only that, but in the time that you are putting this replacement part on for no, because it's under warranty, for no money, could have been doing You could same. have been working on something where you could have been making So now it's going to cost you three times as much. Sure. So if you account for your time, then it's that's extremely. It's a big deal. Yeah. And in a professional shop, because time is money, because that's how they make their living by selling time. It's way – you know, and, again, you make the argument, well, I'm going to do to work myself. Well, that's great, but is your time worth something? Right. You're going to spend a whole weekend, say, working on this vehicle where you could have been doing something else maybe. Could have been doing maybe, something you enjoy. Right. Or you could have worked some extra overtime <laughs> yeah. at, at work if you just want to work. And now, if you enjoy doing it, that's fine, but at least go with a quality part because sure. there's not going to be a lot of enjoyment. In having to redo your wife ragging on. on you because you didn't fix the car right <laughs> <laughs> and if she gets broken down oh god forbid huh god, yeah help you now buddy <laughs> see how you how, how you likes now yeah. yeah it's not gonna be a whole lot of fun no it's not oem parts do as the most part cost more they do but it's like everything in life you don't always get what you pay for but you never, never get. get more than you pay for exactly if and this costs a lot more there's generally a reason why it costs a lot more Anybody can take any product, make it worse, skip steps, leave things out, and make it cheaper. Sure. Very easy to do. It's just what is the overall cost, not the direct price you're paying. you got to look beyond that. Right. It's the amount you pay plus what it costs to make it work plus whatever it costs to fix the stuff that breaks as a result of it divided by how long it lasts. Mm -hmm. If it lasts half as long, then it costs twice as much you got to replace it again there you go so anyway that's just a little life lesson and the average individual might work on his car once, once a month a month maybe. once a year whatever but in a shop where you work on 20 30 cars a day
0: sure you that, see you this see that.
1: so much more that's why the good shops will generally insist on using oem parts right they know it's way less expensive. They know they're not. it's not coming back. It's not going to cause them any more trouble down the road. Or towards the customer. They don't want to lose the customer. That's right. the most expensive thing of all. Hey, we're going to take a quick little break. Be right back with a whole lot more on the Automotive Hour. If you ever plan to motor
2: west. Mimi, your hair is so cute. Who cuts it? Oh, thanks. I got a guy for you. Here's his card. It just says Fallon. Oh, no. It's Fallon. Well, uh, Fallon doesn't have a number on his card. I know. Appointments with Fallon are referral only. But I must cut a lock of your hair. Deliver it to Fallon. He will put it under his pillow for a week, and your style and cut will come to him in a vision. Seems like old Fallon has quite a gig going.
0: Today, everybody's got a guy. If you're looking for an automotive guy, I Think Agco Automotive. No complications, just quality maintenance and repairs you can trust. And with Agco's general inspection, they complete an annual checkup to diagnose problems and schedule maintenance so you can budget for the year and keep your car in tip-top shape.
2: So, how much does Fallon charge for a cut? That will come to him in a vision,
0: too. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. AGCO, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us. This is the Automotive Hour. I'm
1: Louis Aldazan with Mr. Brian Terry, our general manager. We'll be glad to try to help you out any way we can. we got all our lines right open right now. You call, we'll put you straight to the top of the list. Yeah, we will. And should you happen to miss your prime opportunity to get a live answer this morning, you could always go to our website, get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That G C O a u t o dot com there is a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button and fill out the form and send it on in There you go. not only is that the best way to reach us. it's the only way that to it reach is us. <laughs> other than calling on this show. Some people will call during the week and ask to speak to him. Of course number uh-huh. one, I'm not there because I'm more or less retired, and we're not going to pull a tech off of a job. He is servicing a paying customer. I can't pull him off and bring him to the phone to ask you questions, sir. Sure that's why we do the radio show and we ask why we have the and website, we, have the website. we give out plenty 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 of free information it's not that we're rude it's not that we don't care it's just it's that when we are working on paying customers that is how we make our living exactly i cannot pull a tech off of the job to come and talk to you about your hot rod or <laughs> whatever you got at home so anyway yeah this is the time to call right now and you get a live answer you can ask all the questions you want in fact not only is it best way to do it we really enjoy it yeah we do makes it easier for everybody (laughs) another email that we get a lot and we get a lot of discussion on and that is evaporative emissions codes Uh and these are the codes they'll generally be like in the 400 range something like a 450 452 up in that range of codes because all of your SAE codes are kind of grouped by the system that they pertain to but it's an evaporative emissions code and a lot of times, if you've got a little aftermarket scan tool or you go to a parts store, the code's going to pop up and they're going to say, replace the gas cap. Right. Well, That's small evap leak or it whatever. It really does not say replace the gas cap. There's no code that says replace gas cap. The code is saying it cannot establish the evaporative emissions test. It's either it can't hold a vacuum on the tank or, depending on what kind of car you have, it can't hold pressure on the tank. Right. Because generally, European cars use a pressurized evaporative system. And some of your Chrysler products. Chrysler, because they were owned by Mercedes right, back has. when this, they took the European system, and it works on a pump with pressure. Mm-hmm. Most domestic and Asian-built cars work on a vacuum. a vacuum evaporative emission system. And so the gas cap is one possible cause of several components. Of many, 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 many things. What it's trying to do, in effect, on the domestic and Asian cars is it is trying to draw a vacuum on the tank. The way this works is there's a pair of solenoids. One solenoid allows air into the tank because when you pump gas out of the tank, air has to run back in to replace the volume of the fuel. If not, it's sort of like if you take a soda straw, put it underwater, put your finger on in and pick it up, the water stays in it. It mm-hmm. won't run out because no air can run in to take the vibe, same thing with your fuel tank. If it were completely sealed, the gas couldn't be pumped out. You would Could draw a vacuum on the tank, and it would just w- overcome the pump. Right. So you have to have a means to vent the tank. However, those fumes cannot just go out into the atmosphere. Back in the old days, they, they just did. had a little pinhole on the top of the cap. Right, and that's the way it vented, it vented the itself, and it, it worked, worked fine. fine. Well, they can't do that any longer, so now they have a series of charcoal canisters and piping and valves that suck this fumes into the engine to burn them gets mm-hmm. rid of them, and they have to store them for periods when the car is not running and all that, and that's where your charcoal canister and all that comes in. The point is they needed a method to determine is this working properly because if it malfunctioned and you didn't know, you'd be going around emitting fumes. Sure. So the EPA mandated we need a system to monitor the evaporative emissions, make sure it's all working properly. Now, they started out with what they call evaporative emissions. Later, they went to advanced evaporative emissions Mm -hmm. just an evolution of the same thing but basically the way those work the vent solenoid will close the computer will command the vent solenoid closed it will command the purge solenoid to open which is the purge solenoid is mounted on the engine somewhere on the engine or somewhere where it can get a vacuum source now when the purge solenoid opens it starts to draw a vacuum on the tank there's a sensor inside the tank that tells it when a proper vacuum has been established Now, let's say you have a large evaporative emissions leak. It will not be able to draw it down to that level. So it's going to set a code that says large EVAP leak. Let's say the leak is not as large. It will be able to draw it down. But it can't hold it. But it can't hold it. It will degrade very quickly. In other words, it'll drop from maybe two inches of vacuum down to one inch of vacuum in just a very short period of time. It's going to set a medium EVAP leak. Now, let's say it takes... A longer period of time but it then it'll won't. set a small evap leak those are each individual codes right so by looking at the codes you, you can kind of get a feel for how big of a problem you're looking for sure let's say you're getting a large evap leak well certainly the first thing you look for make sure the gas cap's on right well i mean that's the that's the only component of the system that is removed and replaced right so if it gets removed and doesn't get replaced correctly right It will not hold a vacuum. It will be a large leak. Large EVAP leak. If the seal goes bad in the cap, it will be a large EVAP leak. If you get crazy with your gas nozzle and you bend the The neck, the neck, the filler neck, the cap will no longer seal. You're going to generally get a large EVAP leak. Correct. So you kind of sort of know from the size of the leak what you're looking for. If a vent solenoid is shorted wide open, you'll get a large EVAP leak. Sure. It can't draw vacuum on the tank. That's what that is trying to tell you. Now, let's say you've got a moderate evap leak. This is probably not going to be. This may be the seal on the gas cap should be leaking, but it's probably not going to be the cap missing or or cap not put on or any of that. It's probably not going to be a solenoid wide open. It may be something like the charcoal canister has ruptured and the vacuum has drawn charcoal into the solenoid. So some air can it's pass flowing. through or the valve will close and block some flow but it won't block all of the flow
0: mm-hmm.
1: now it could also be something like the charcoal has went all the way to the front of the car it's plugged the purge valve so it can't close. draw a proper vacuum another possibility is that the fuel tank pressure sensor is going bad it may actually be drawing a full it, vacuum yeah, everything may be working correctly it worked perfectly But But that little valve, that sensor in that tank is telling the computer, hey, we're not drawing a vacuum, even though it Yeah, is. We've seen those. We've actually changed those before. I had personally one on my personal vehicle. The the sensor went bad, and it was telling the computer, hey, it's not pulling a vacuum. But we got this scan tool out, and you can actually watch that data on the scan tool, and it was rapidly changing. So, therefore, we knew, hey, the sensor's got to be reading incorrectly because this should be a steady reading, not fluctuating across the chart." And that brings up the point: on a car, on anything operated by a computer, there is reality, and then there is perceived reality. Exactly. That computer only knows what those sensors tell it. And if it says zero vacuum, it doesn't matter if there's two inches of vacuum in the tank. In reality, all it knows is there's no vacuum. It's going to make a decision based on the fact that there's no. It's going to set a large evap leak. That's the way the software is written. There's no so. You can just – that's how you go so far wrong Right. unless you can get in and test. Another thing, an EVAP system works on volume. If the tank is full, it's going to look at the fuel level sensor right. and it's going to say, this tank is full, do not execute this test. It's going to abort the test because if it tried to pull a vacuum on a full tank, it could suck gas into the system, which would ruin it. Exactly. It would rupture the charcoal canister. Yeah, fact, if you get gas into that charcoal canister; it's going to dissolve the plastic. The canister is going to fail. The charcoals go out throughout the system; it's going to ruin the whole system. And you know, you say that the canister is designed to hold vapor, right? It is not designed to hold liquid. Correct. And when you get liquid in it, a gasoline, it will destroy the the inserts, the insides of that charcoal canister. And those little bitty charcoal pellets will start up the up the vacuum um, trail, up the vacuum trail toward the engine because that's the way the system is operated. And they start stacking in there like dominoes. They just start packing in there together. And before long, you've got a total block right. in that line. Right. And, again, there's reality and there's perception of reality. Whatever it perceives is reality to it. Sure. Now, let's say you've got a full tank of fuel, but your fuel level sensor is not working properly. You'll see the cars that when you fill them up, they only go to half a tank. Uh huh. That's because something's broken loose in the tank. It's hitting the float generally and pushing it down so it can't rise all the way to the top of the tank it may be that the sensor itself is bad it may be all sorts of things the point is the computer decides it's going to run an evap test it looks if it sees a half a tank of fuel it's going to run the test because it thinks that's what it is now if you got a full tank of fuel it's going to wipe out the evap system when it does it right because it's going to pull liquid fuel into the vapor canister destroy it and it's going to Contaminate the rest of the system. Yeah. The other side of the coin is also true in that if it's less than a quarter tank, there's too much volume, too much vapor, it can't run this test effectively because it has to have a certain amount of fuel and a certain. So below a quarter tank, it will also abort the test. Correct. So let's say your fuel sensor is bad and it's reading empty tank. It's never going to run the evap test.
0: Exactly. It's just so going to abort gonna pass. This
1: test. Now let's say it was passing before the sensor went bad. The light will not come on because it doesn't know. Let's say an EVAP problem happens, but it thinks there's less than a quarter of tank of gas. So it, it is going runs. to abort this test. It never It's not going it. to get a check engine light. However, when you go down to get your inspection sticker and they run the code, it's going to have a code set that may not turn the light on for, exactly. for, for say, the fuel sensor. Well, I'm not worried about it. Well, you've got to worry about that because that's part of the system. Part that's of the way of the, the system, system operates. It's not going to operate properly without that. Hey, talk a whole lot more about that and answer any calls you may have right after this break.
0: Linda, I've been so tense lately. Can you recommend a masseuse?
2: Oh, have I got a massage guy. Johan Thundercloud. He's Swedish, Native American who uses classic deep tissue massage with natural healing methods. That sounds interesting. His deep tissue green pine cone massage is amazing. Along with the piercing eagle claw technique. Working your muscles with a rhythmic screech. When you hear that, you know it's working. I
0: bet. It seems everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for an automotive guy, check out the team at AGCO Automotive. We keep it simple with high-quality maintenance and repairs you can trust. And don't forget about AGCO's General Inspection, an annual checkup to diagnose problems and schedule maintenance so your car will perform for the long term.
2: One thing, though, do you bleed easily? What? Johan will want to know.
0: Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at AGCO Automotive. AGCO, it's the place to go.
2: Hey, welcome back.
1: Don't just it, us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersand. with Mr. Brian Terry. If you have a question or a comment, just give us a call. at 291-6901. Be glad to hear from you. We were talking a little bit about evaporative emission systems, which right. is one of the most complicated systems on the car. It is. It, because it, it checks such a fine amount of vacuum, you're talking inches was it inches yeah, of water? Inches, uh, up uh, one or two inches of, of vacuum is where right. it operates. So it's very, very small. And there's so many components that add into it, and there's so many factors that influence it. You know, We talked about if you got less than a quarter, a quarter. tank or more than three-quarter, it's going to abort the test. Right. There's other things that will also cause it to abort the test. For instance, on many systems, not all, but many of them, it will check the fuel temperature, and it will check the engine temperature, and it will compare it to the ambient temperature. And that's how it knows if this is a cold start, because on many of them, it wants to operate on a cold start. Once the engine has warmed up, and there's if, if fuel temperature is one thing or ambient temperature is one thing and engine temperature is higher, it may abort that test, because since this car's already been driven, the fuel is sloshing around the tank, there's so going to be a certain amount of pressure, pressure, and so the results will be, Not correct. Not correct. And what happens is because it can abort the test under so many conditions, a lot of people get very, very confused and go very, very wrong. For instance, let's say you have a large EVAP leak. Well, the first thing you do, you say, well, it's got to be the gas cap. So you go get a new gas cap, you Mm -hmm. put it on, you clear the code. You also fill it with gas. Sure. Well, now, it's not going to run this test until it gets down to three-quarters of a tank. So it may not come on for a week, two weeks. Depending on how well, that, often you drive it. it. That fixed it. Okay, well then. The fuel gets lower than 3 let, Let's of say tank. it's at three-quarters of a tank, but you crank the car up and you drive it just to the grocery store. It doesn't have time to execute the test. So it aborts. So it aborts. The next time it goes, it says the engine's hotter than the fuel, so it aborts. Sure. If you continue to do that all day, it's not going to run it all that day. You may run a whole tank through it. You may go for a week or more. And it won't run the test. Then you get down below a quarter tank, so it's going to abort the test. Sure, you could go conceivably a month easily. The light will not come back on. Does not mean the car is fixed. If you were to go in and check the IM test, you would see that test is incomplete, which is a readiness test. It's the readiness test. It will once it successfully executes a couple of times, then it will clear the readiness test and tell right. you, hey, the system's operating properly. But if you go to get an inspection sticker. At least in the state of Louisiana or in the parishes of East Baton Rouge, West Baton Rouge. right? They actually plug into the OBD-2 connector and, and they check that information. It's going to say your tests are incomplete and so you're going to fail the test. And that's the point. Let's say you've got – you you may have had a bad fuel tank mm-hmm. uh, cap. You tested the cap. It was bad. You replace it. You think it's fixed. Well, a month later, the light comes on again. Oh, something else has gone wrong. So you start – changing. maybe the cap went bad again. You put another cap on. Well, it doesn't help. Go on and on and on and on and on, and you can get into the situation where you just can't figure out what's going wrong. Let's say it's really the sensor in the tank, and it doesn't know that it's got a vacuum on it, and that's why it's sitting that. Right. It's, it's telling the computer there's no vacuum here for also, whatever reason. So you can have intermittent problems. Which are the devil to find Can sometimes. be the devil to find. Let's say you've got a solenoid on the vent that sometimes it does not seal, but most of the time it does seal. Right. So you bring it in. You smoke test the system, no smoke leaking anywhere. You execute the test. It passes. Okay, we know it failed one time, so we know now we've got an intermittent problem here. Now, people get aggravated at that. You say, we're going to have to wait until it occurs again to catch it. You either need to leave the car with me, right. let me continue to check, or you're going to have to wait till it gets more consistent. Well, can't you just change such and such? I read on the Internet what that was the vent sawed on Okay, well, that's one of about 100 different things it could possibly be. Well, let's just change that. Okay, I'll change that part. If you realize what we're doing is rolling the dice here, that's one possible cause. Exactly. We have no way to determine if it is the cause, and we have no way to determine if that fixed it. And have you priced some of those parts? Yeah. So I mean, some very expensive. Some of those ZVAT canisters are two $300. Yeah, Easily. Easily. So the point is, you can't just go in and say, well, may, maybe it's this. And we get that a lot. Well, we I do. read on the Internet where a guy changed the zone on and that fixed it. Okay, that's one possibility. On that particular vehicle. <laughs> but on this one, a rodent got on top of the fuel tank. He chewed through the wire, and the two ends of the wire are touching each other. Right. So they are giving a signal. Sometimes. Sometimes. Occasionally, you hit a bump. You'll do something, whatever, and the two little wires move apart. Well, now you get a code. But then they go back together and they start making again. Okay, that is an intermittent problem. Well, and, you know, to the customers, it's, hey, why can't you just check, check everything? Up, look, look, look. look just, just look up there and see. Well, some of those gas tanks are shoved right up beneath the body of the vehicle. You can't even get a mirror up there. Well, and, again, most shops, most professional shops are going to be anywhere from 100 to $200 an hour. Sure. How many hours do you want me to spend taking Throwing stuff apart, at. trying to guess at what where this is coming from? Because if I test it and it tests good, then it there's tests no good. indication that this problem exists. Mm-hmm. We know that is a possibility, but it's only one possibility. Like you said, three to four hours to pull this tank out at 100 plus an hour. Right. We get the tank out and that wasn't it. Okay, now do you so want to spend what? $400 because we thought maybe this could be it? Mm-hmm. Most people don't. No, they don't. So, we've got to have some kind of an indication. Now, obviously, we can beat on the bottom of the tank, and maybe the wire will move, and it'll quit working. That's getting lucky. Sometimes that works out. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Right. But the point is, it's a very, very, very complex system. It does check itself. It does set codes. But the codes, like any codes, are not literal codes. You can't take them literally. Right. They don't ever mean what they say. That's why it says small EVAP leak, large EVAP leak. It doesn't say vent valve not working or anything like that it may even say vent valve circuit code Mm -hmm. now Now you've got a circuit code we know that's the circuit now that could be the valve that could could be any of the half mile of wires that go to the valve could be the pcm the pcm is bad and it just doesn't see the valve right so again you throw a vent valve on there still got the same code okay you say well if it's if i know it's working but it's not seeing it work it must be the computer must be so now so you that's... put a computer in there <laughs> but guess what it, it wasn't hit. it was one of those wires that was running under the floor of the car that somebody happened to put a sheet metal screw through, through to, to put something else in the car and nicked it or cut it and now you have an intermittent problem. evap code or you have a, a, a code that just doesn't have anything to do with what the code reads mm-hmm. and again if two wires touch together they make up. You, you may them. have any number of codes generated by that. Sure, I mean it could be something totally unrelated to either of the codes, and it's just because it shorted the computer out. The computer's now freaked out because it's got voltage coming in on a lead that's supposed to, supposed to be a ground be, or more than vo- it's more gonna voltage. It's going to go down and list the first code it hits. It's going to throw it out there. Sure. It may throw multiple codes out. We've the, seen the that happen. The point is, you can't ever take a code literally. A right. code, it's not a parts replacement no it's not this part is bad that's always been my issue with the part stores you go in and every one of them will check a code for free sure they're they doing a wonderful service why do they do that because Because they they sell sell a ton of junk parts that aren't as good as the parts you're taking off and maybe causing problems maybe causing other problems which gets back to the first topic we had Mm -hmm. i've seen where someone will go in they'll get a code read well it's this they'll put that part on Well now you've got a junk part that doesn't work. You still got the original problem. So before I can do anything else, I go in and check and say, Well this part's not working. So I have to change that, get a known good part before I can even check to see what What the original part was. Right. And the original problem may have had absolutely nothing to do with that. Maybe something, you know, totally different. And again, we've told a story where we had someone had replaced a fuel pump. They cross the ground lead between the sender unit and the ground lead for the pump. Exactly, I remember. Well, they that both work because they both, had, both the ground had ground on it. But now we're getting this trash off the fuel pump returned to the PCM that is not it supposed to be there. Freaked out. Well, it, yeah, it's an EGR code. Yeah, I remember that the one. EGR valve had been changed three or four times. They'd taken the intake manifold off on and on and on and on. They'd done all these things. Right. And it turns out that it was the wrong. They grounded the, the crossed the wires right. when they put the fuel Come pump Come to find on. out the two wires for the fuel pump had been crossed. Mm-hmm. And cut the two wires, put, put them back, back like they went, cleared the code, never returned again. That's it. Let's see if we can catch one more quick call before the break. We've got George online. Good morning, George.
2: Hey, Louis. Yes, sir. Brian, how y'all doing? doing? Doing great, sir. Great. Great. Look. I just wanted to call and tell you this past week, I took a Toyota truck to a shop and had it fixed. Uh, he fixed the universal joint mm-hmm. and in talking with this man, you know him as Mr. Z. Okay. I just wanted to pass on this. It was very refreshing to hear him go back and talk to uh, how he had a friend that long time ago, the two men with a vision that how they started their business <laughs> and went up in a helicopter. Yeah. I looked at the different places, and you were going to be on Corsi, and he was going to be on Choctaw. Yep. And you got it. It was very complimentary, and I just thought I wanted to call and tell you that you you got a real friend there.
1: Oh, yeah. Earl Zimmer uh, is one of my oldest friends in the world. He and I have been friends for 50 years, and both started our business right about the same time. And we still talk. Not as much as we used to, but once a month he'll call me. I'll call him. Fine, fine fella. Yeah, if the world was full of guys like him, you'd be you'd be be a good place. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Well, it was just thought it was just a very very refreshing conversation, and y'all, it was just two men with a vision a long time ago, and both of you have been very
1: successful. And I thought I'd just pass that on to you. Well, George, I appreciate you calling, man. Okay, y'all have a good day. Good. Thank you. Bye bye. Yeah, Earl Zimmer is one of those guys. He's just a genius at what he does. Oh, he's most definitely. I mean, anybody in the country has a problem. Most of them knows who to call. That's it. (laughs) He's first on the list. He's the guy. Hey, gotta take our, yeah, last little break for the day. There you go. (laughs) Good. We'll be right back with a whole lot more.
0: TJ, I've been looking to tone up, man. You have a personal trainer, right? Yes, I've got the guy, Mr. Miyago. (laughs) He's going to teach me how to wax on, wax off. Mr. Miyago's no joke. Oh, sorry. He begins by filling your shorts with wet sand to provide weight resistance and enhance focus. Then launches into a series of drills like crouching tiger hidden badger, fire monkey, flogging duck, and highly agitated dragon. Sounds kind of extreme. Yeah, bruh, extreme results
2: everybody's got a guy these days and if you're looking for the right automotive guy it's agco automotive we make it easy quality repairs and a staff you can trust and with agco's general inspection you get an annual checkup to diagnose problems that could cost you down the road
0: you will need to sign a waiver stating you are not allergic to pig intestines and live geese i think i'm just gonna hit the gym tj but thanks get automotive
2: peace of mind schedule your general inspection today at agco automotive agco it's the place to go
1: Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm Louis Aldizan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our general manager, Mr. Brian Terry, right in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call at 291 And, again, we're talking about uh, EVAP system. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there's a lot of things that can go wrong, even if you know what you're doing. For instance, you go in and you don't have the proper vacuum. It could be something like a crack in the fuel tank. Easily. GM We've had a problem before. with that on some of their Tahoe's. A lot of stuff a lot of things like that you can find with a smoke test. Right. And what that is is a nitrogen bottle that creates smoke and pressure. You fill the system with smoke and then you pressurize the system with the nitrogen and it forces the smoke out of where the crack is. Where the leak is. Right. And without such an apparatus you could literally look for days and days and, and never days find it. And never, never find see it. it. Because a small crack on top of the fuel tank, you just you're just not, not going to find it. that. You're not going to see it, for one right. thing. Let's say someone's replaced the fuel pump, and when they put it in, they got crazy, they took a screwdriver, and they beat that little ring Ring in. around. That yeah, That's just a little stamp steel ring. Sure. There's a special tool made to unscrew and reattach that. If you get on that with a chisel or a pair of water pliers, pliers, pliers or a whatever, big hammer. you're going to bend it. Worse yet, you may bend the tank itself. Now you're not ever going to get a seal. Right. Now, how do you find that? It's on top of the tank. You can't see it. You have no idea what you're looking for. Well, and that's where the smoke machine comes you could, in. You could put an inordinate number of parts on there and never find a problem, but you can see smoke coming out from on top of the tank now. And then you can stop and say, you can call a customer and say, look, we smoke checked your system. We found a leak on the top of the tank. Now it's going to be this much to get the tank down to find out exactly what's going on. Right. we No way for us to diagnose this fully. Any further. Without dropping the tank. Since dropping the tank can be an involved procedure. Sure. Sometimes res- three, four hours. Oh, yeah. A, res- a responsible shop is going to stop at that point. Okay, we've spent this much time. This is what we know. We've got a leak on top of the fuel tank. It will take this many hours to pull the fuel tank out, but it's going to have to be done. It will also apply towards the work because I have to take the tank out to fix the problem regardless. Sure. Do you want to go on? And they say, yes, okay. Next steps: pull the tank out, physically examine it. Now, we get up here, we may find the ring is Is not not on there properly. We get a new ring, put that on. The seal is gone bad. The seal is bad or was pinched on installation. We replace the seal. We find the tank is cracked. We replace the fuel tank. We may find one of the vacuum hoses on there. A rodent has crawled sure. up there and chewed a little hole in one of the vacuum hoses. Sure. So there's no way for a, t- a shop to tell you it's going to be this much. What he can tell you is we've spent this much time. It costs this much for this at this point. Right. It's going to be this much more to go to, to go the next step. And you have to decide: Do I trust this guy? Do I not trust this guy? Right. So that's where a few prudent questions would come in. For instance, he says you got a leak on top of your fuel tank. Could you tell me how he found that? Well, we smoke tested the entire system. I can see smoke coming out between the tank and the floor. This is a guy who knows what he's doing. Sure. He'll say, well, we checked everything else. We couldn't see it anywhere else, so we think it must be up there. Well, well now, now you need to second, yeah. second guess that. Yeah, because is it that he just didn't check properly? Sure. Could be anything. Well, you may not even have a vacuum leak. You may have... You may have a bad tank sensor. Yeah. Or a tank ba- sensor saying, hey, you know, there's no vacuum no here. No vacuum. But you really have vacuum. Exactly. Exactly. Another thing is where the charcoal canister goes bad. And one of the leading things that make a charcoal canister go bad, when you fill your tank and you got the nozzle in there, you pull it, it will cut off when it's full. Mm-hmm. Now, I know I used to be this way. I that's hated cool. to go I hated to go to the gas station. So right. I would sit there and just keep filling it until it would come all the way up to the top. Well, and that comes from age, and that's the way we used to do vehicles. Right. Because you had a vent in the cap. There was nothing, no harm in it. You filled it up because you didn't want to stop at the gas station all the time. I could put maybe another gallon in there. Sure. However, on a modern car, if you continue, they call it topping off. Uh-huh. If you continue to top off, the fuel's going to back up the neck. It's going to go down the vent lines, get in the charcoal canister. It's going to destroy the fiber liner that holds the charcoal right. in the canister. And when that happens, that charcoal is going to get pulled because there's a vacuum it's now. It's going to mitigate throughout the system. And it's going it's to fill the system with charcoal. Now, is that going to happen that day? No. Nope. Absolutely not. It's going to probably happen a month to six months later. The fuel gets in the tank. It starts to deteriorate this stuff. At the point that this fibrous mesh or the plastic fallout breaks down, now this charcoal starts to go into the system. Now, it's going to probably take a week to a month for the vacuum to draw this little piece of charcoal all the way through because it doesn't know this is occurring. It has no effect on the system until it hits the solenoid and plugs it up. Or it plugs the line up. Or plugs the line up. Now, what happens very often is you go in and you have a EVAP code and you narrow it down to the purge sensor. It's mm-hmm. not working. You get a new purge sensor, you put it on there. About a month later, it goes bad again. Well, what happened? It got full of charcoal. The charcoal is still in that line. Simply replacing the, the valve, valve is, is, not is not treating fix the symptom. It's not, not the treating the problem. So the proper repair would be to go in, obviously replace the sensor, sure. disconnect the line on both ends, take the charcoal canister, find out that the charcoal is coming out of it, replace the charcoal canister, and very, very robustly blow through every one of these lines. Make sure right. you've got them completely clean. I can tell you right now, if you put compressed air on either side of that line, mm-hmm. you have packed that line full and you'll never get the charcoal out of it. Right. We actually have a old speedometer cable. Mm-hmm. We take a little bit of air pressure, just enough for flow. Right. Put that speedometer cable on a drill and work it in and out of that line until you get it all. Until you get all out. of it down, and you can get good flow out of it. Then you can put more pressure. More pressure on it to blow the rest or of the pieces even out. Blow some solvent through, and then blow pressure Something. behind it. If you put more pressure on that line, you're going to pack that you're charcoal, pack and you'll never get it out. Now, now you've got lines to replace to be. the line. Those and lines are not only very expensive; they're hard to come by. Because it's not a part that normally ever goes bad, so nobody's going to have it in stock. And they were put on before the body was put on the frame. That's right. So they intertwine under there. You can't hardly change them without they filling the body. wiggle around all, and weave over the like place. a snake. Yeah. I mean, they go all over the place. Clips everywhere. And you if know. your car's 10 years old, it's probably been discontinued. Exactly. It's not a part they keep in stock because they don't sell hardly any of them because you, somebody has to damage it it's sure. not going to damage itself most of them are made out of nylon so they don't ever rust they don't anything go wrong with them unless you physically break it right. maybe a wreck breaks one every now and then but they don't sell a whole lot of them so when they're deciding what parts to discontinue that's one of the first ones they're going to take the fast moving items and they're going to keep producing those for a while the slow moving items they're, they're going to drop. get dropped
0: mm-hmm.
1: now at that point because they generally have a very specific shape they're molded they have specific connectors on the ends of them. Clips that hold them to its the various components. Something that's going to be very difficult to make up. But the point is you have to make sure you've cleaned this line thoroughly right. before you replace the part. Not unlike on brake parts where you have a caliper go bad. If you leave the contaminated fluid in the system and just put a new caliper and you, you go to bleed brakes, that- you're pushing all that trash right back through the brand new caliper. Exactly. It would be sort of like rebuilding an engine. And then saving. dump the old oil back in Exactly. It. The old, filthy, contaminated, metal Right, old oil filter, yeah. everything. Le- put the old oil filter and the old oil right back in your brand-new engine. Right. Well, after about 20 minutes of running... It's destroyed. Yeah, same, same thing. We've even gotten to the point where we just felt we did the best we could do cleaning it, but there was still a little bit of chance of maybe a continued right. problem with this. We will take a small fuel filter and try to hook sure. it into the line so this filter can clean out the can catch particles, any other the pieces of charcoal before they get to this valve because right. that valve might be 250 300 easily a little inline fuel filter is six dollars right eight dollars and as long as you can put it in the line and seal it where the system will operate correctly right has to it's be sealed a, right i like to use a clear plastic inline that filter. A way you can see i it. can see it getting in there and when i see no more getting in i may go and take